Welcome to Dragon Talk, everyone. Yay! I am very excited for this, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and that's Shelly Mazzanobo. Hi! Hi! How you doing? Rocking and rolling. All right. We got a really good episode today. We're talking yes. to the highest ranking D&D fan in the U.S. Army, according to him, anyway. Is this the highest ranking um, the guest that we've ever had? I believe so. I think okay. the only other people I know who have been in the military have been not a general. Right. Um, well, I mean, he is already very decorated, but I do think that that's another distinction we can add. Maybe we need to give, a, give away some Dragon Talk medals. Ooh, that's a great idea. Right? Yeah, I like it. Cool. You get the medal of Drunky, and it's it's like a picture of you upending a wineskin. Nice. <laughs> Very <laughs> decorated in the art of upending wineskins. The order of Drunky. I, I want to be <gasps> a member of that order. You absolutely can, and you should definitely um, start working towards that medal while my dad is visiting. Nice. Um, he is here from the lovely East Coast and spending time in West Seattle with me and the fam in How's his own little it? rental house. He loves it. He really likes, I mean, it's, it's just nice to be by the water and we finally had some good weather. He's yeah, got like a cool pad. Um, but I have a funny story for you. Go for it. So I gave him one of our cool D&D t-shirts, gave it to him for Father's Day. Um <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of money on that. I did. I'm like, I need to like wrap some gifts here. He got other stuff too, but I also wanted to give him that. It's um, the, the one that just has the ampersand, but yeah. it's like that really soft material. So I knew he would love it. And he did. He put it on immediately. And I said, just so you know, like what, you're going to be doing a lot of like walking around Seattle. You probably will get stopped and people will want to talk to you about D&D because they'll recognize the logo. And he's like, oh, oh stop, nobody. That's not going to happen, no. Really? Well, oh. sure enough, yesterday on our way to dinner, it was very, very crowded on Elkai last night. And we passed this group of, of people, probably like, you know, 20-somethings, men and women. And the one of the guys walks by my dad and he goes, love that shirt, my man. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad looks down. He's like, what? Like, first of all, like, why is anyone talking to me? But he looks down and he goes, oh, my God. And he turns around and he goes, Dungeons and Dragons? And the guy like spins around. He's like, yeah, dude, Dungeons and Dragons. And then the people he's with, they're like, we just finished our game. We It's oh Tuesday night. We're just, you know, like we just finished. And now we're off to dinner. And my dad's like, Dungeons and Dragons. That's, That's so all cute. he can think to say. And then he like screams after them. He's like, my daughter works there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he like turned around. They're like, cool, man. That's cool. He's like, her name is Shelly Mazanobo. <laughs> and she's my daughter. That's my daughter. Look her up. They're like, cool, cool. We will. Okay, bye. <laughs> listen to Dragon Talk. Listen to Dragon Talk. Maybe they do listen to Dragon Talk. If that was you, you totally made my dad's day. So he's like, 
oh my god, I cannot believe people actually stopped me. I can't believe they talked about my shirt. Oh my god, Aww, what what's going on? Is Tuesday like the night? Like is this Tuesday is D and D night? Is that like a rule? Like is Tuesday like a big night for you guys? I'm like no, it's like totally up to the people playing. Like Tuesday happens to be their their night. Friday afternoons is my day. Like it's it's really you know we don't we don't mandate when people play. We're just glad they're playing. It's like oh my god, it's so cool. I'm gonna have to learn a thing or two. Like you know, so he can engage in a conversation back. Right now, all he knows is. Dungeons and Dragons. Right, he just repeats that. <laughs> that's amazing. And oh. my daughter works there. I know, that's my favorite part. That he was like, my daughter, like he's yeah. like proud of uh, his yes. Shelly for Screaming. making the game. At least he's morphed on from saying that you made the game. Uh, oh, right? I, I mean, I'm sure if they stopped to chat with him, he absolutely would have said I made the game. <laughs> That's usually the next thing in line. But now he's actually really proud of the podcast now, so he likes to talk about that. Sweet. Um, and hopefully, like, you know, we'll give him a couple copies of our book and he'll, like, hand-sell them on the sidewalk because... That's, that's just what wearing he does. the T-shirt, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard like, about Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> My daughter <laughs> works there. She wrote a book. And like Quinn was there. Quinn was like, "Oh, that's actually kind of cool." Yeah. <laughs> Other people get it. I love that. I know it, it was so sweet. Twenty somethings, uh, you know, younger and younger people are playing it. Uh, that's so amazing. And what I loved was that, like, it was, you know. Women and that were like in this group too. It was you know men, a group of men and women, just like hey, they just finished their D and D game. Now they're going off to have dinner together. Like I loved it. That's they were so like great. exactly like who we want to see playing. Right. Yes, along so, with my dad. It's and then yeah, right. And you could be, that's like the best show off moment you could have had. You're like <laughs> I do something that people know about. And I'm just uh-huh. He liked my fingernails. He liked the shirt. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So he will. He will get more uh, engagements with that shirt. I know he will. So he's, who knows? We're, we're going to have to give him some talking points because yeah. he will absolutely stop and talk to these people. I'll write some messaging for him. It'll be great. Could you? Yeah, yes, as our no as problem. our communications manager. It'll just be Dungeons and Dragons with exclamation points. Dungeons and Dragons! <laughs> just repeat. Yeah. <laughs> repeat that. They're going to start talking to him. I'm like, he's going to have to pretend he knows what he's saying. Yeah. That's right. He's going to take it back to Florida and uh, get all of the people in the, the old folks' home playing. <laughs> oh, there, he does not live in an old folks' home. Sorry, old person's home. He does not live in an old person. He lives in, he's in a condom, condominium community condominium. where a lot of elderly people also reside. Very active elderly people. Yeah. Yeah. So they can switch from playing Pinochle to playing D and D. A lot of lot of mahjong happens there, Ooh, and like so yeah, mahjong. they're they're fully set up for some D and D action. Right, gaming gaming is where it's at when you're retired. That's what all I want to do when I'm retired. Absolutely, game 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 keeps you sharp. So keeps you sharp. That's right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of sharp, we have an amazing guest uh, for you today. Very very sharp individual has played D and D for. <laughs> probably one of the longest times that we've uh, interviewed someone from since 1976. Great, amazing. Uh, and as we mentioned at the top, a brigadier general ranking in the U.S. Army, now retired, which is also very cool. Now retired. Um, but yeah, we have Glenn Goddard, and let's get him on the horn so we can find out all more about how D&D affected his life. 
Let's do it. Everyone, let's welcome Glenn Goddard to Dragon Talk. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> I guess I guess should we say Wait, uh, salute? I yeah, no, right? Should there be a rank <laughs> there? Or you're retired. You're a retired brigadier general. That's true. I am retired. If I wasn't retired, I can't advocate for any particular company. So now that I am, I'm free to do so. Oh. <laughs> Talk about a great game D&D is. Really? Is that true? Yeah. You would not be able to? Correct. Yeah. Because otherwise, all your little underlings would go like, oh, man, if we want to get promoted, we all need to learn D&D and talk to it. You know, it's like, well, okay, try to avoid any influence there. And so they're, they're pretty strict on those kind of things. Okay. All it right, makes even, sense, but now you're retired, you know, your yeah, freedom, freedom I'm reigns. Free agent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, well, that's well, exciting. So you you uh, have been playing D&D for how long? When did you get started playing? 1976. Wow. We got these, in on the this, ground this, floor. This, <gasps> these, these were the entire collection of D&D books when I was young. And you still have them. Well, this is my precious. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! He was showing up the the white uh, small manuals in the first uh, printing of, yeah. of Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah, these guys that say they started with the red box and the blue box, so they're just Johnny Come Latelys. <laughs> you didn't start with like a, a seven by five uh, pamphlet, then you know, right there at the beginning, early men, adapters and all that. Uh, Fighting men, el- there weren't even any rogues yet, right? Like it was all correct. It was, was no fighting men, magic users, and clerics. That's that it? it. Well, when okay. I came in, they had Greyhawk out. Greyhawk's what really changed the game because it really, like any set of rules, you do the first one and then they come out with like the first revision and then like improves everything. So that's thieves were in here and monks soon followed. And, and plus, in those days, they had the Strategic Review, which was their TSR magazine. And that's mm-hmm. where you had rangers and bards and things. Things People were just so excited and so creative back in those days, you know? I've been reading the um, uh, fantastic book by John Peterson, Game Wizards, about mm-hmm. the genesis of that company and how it was more from... Being wargaming rules to uh, to being like the D and D you know TSR exactly, know. and it's it's so fascinating how small the scales were until until it blew up to what it is today. Uh, as yeah. you were saying, yeah. Um, so you weren't you weren't in the military back then. You were just playing in in in, in school. I was in high like school. Child. Yeah, I was I was in high school. I started in tenth grade. And, so and, what? Uh, how did you get started? What was what drew you to it? To those uh, five little pamphlets. Well. <laughs> Surprisingly, so so what I would do every lunch every day was believe it or not, I would go play pinochle. I don't know why I got into pinochle. I love pinochle. Nice. Like and then uh, some guys in you know my class says, "Hey, they got this new thing they're doing over in the chess club. Let's we should check it out." And sure enough, D and D was kind of integrating into the chess club, and uh, and and it started to I mean really became much more popular than chess until a teacher found out about it. And the guys couldn't explain the game to the teacher. Mm. It was like, wait, so when does it end? How did you, you create a mm. character? You know, I just didn't. So they said, okay, that's got to go. We, we kind of had to be underground in those days. Oh, they 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 shut it down because it was yeah yeah not not because it wasn't chess. <laughs> it wasn't chess, and so we didn't have a charter, I guess, or something. But uh, but. It was in a still, you know, very small, nerdy group uh, kind of going around trying to figure out 
how to play this game and really geek out on it. That's awesome. And then yeah. you didn't, you went to college and did all that. And so you did, did you join the military after that? Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So after college, uh, I enlisted in the military. Uh, so I was probably the, the smartest private in the U.S. Army. I had a degree in civil engineering. I was, I was a failed theater major. So I had to settle for civil <gasps> hey, engineering. Hey, that you're like, in yay, safe company here. Woo. Yay, We're failed also failed. theater major. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a contrast talking to our, you know, the, our previous guests uh, who are, you know, still doing that theater stuff in New yep. York uh, to to us and making our, making our own careers here. Yeah. Uh, so that's awesome. Civil engineering is so uh, such a fascinating thing. I used to love just driving past things on the highway and be like, oh yeah, that's some civil engineering going on over there. <laughs> Nice. You yeah. really said that, Greg? Is that what you do when you drive along? It, 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 honestly, it's an in-joke between me and my friend that uh. we, <laughs> would be like, you know, because you'd see all the, the we were yeah. fascinated with the amount of uh, concrete and steel and how it was all, you know, put together to make something. And oh, it, was, uh, it, it really is. I mean, that's, I got into that because when growing up, who doesn't love to build things, you know, yeah. Legos and Lincoln Logs and sandboxes and all create things. Which, of course, leads right into Dungeons and Dragons, where you're creating things all the time. Yeah, and you were a DM, right? So you were you were having to build these worlds as well as build bridges. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, that's exactly it. I mean, it, it, the problem then wasn't any different than it is now. Well, who's going to be the DM? Because that's a lot <laughs> of work. And I was happy to do that. Because, again, kind of like engineering is following a whole bunch of rules to figure out how to make something. That's what D&D is, you know? Absolutely. And the nice thing, too, that in those days, there weren't that many rules. You could make stuff up, and people just said, okay, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Still, and that's still encouraged. True yeah. 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 We still, yeah. That's great. So did you ever get a chance to, to do you ever play as a player, or are, are you happy in that role as the dungeon master? I'm happy as the dungeon master, but actually the most I've been a player is the last couple of years during the pandemic. Because, well, I I wasn't really savvy on all the online systems like Roll20 or uh, D&D Beyond. And the last two years have really opened my eyes. I mean, I was one of those guys that always says, well, I only want to play around the table with friends and have that social interaction. And who needs these, you know, online friends? But, man, (laughs) it has been great the last two years. I've made friends all over the world and played with people from all over the world, I have an Australia DM. I have oh, wow. players from Norway, Norway and Sweden, and I mean, just and all over the U.S. Of course, so I'm I'm really now a fan of this whole online uh, community that's been formed mainly, I think, in the last couple of years. Yeah, that cool. is. How did you meet up with all of these people all over the world? You know, I just uh, kind of a little bit uh, was just exploring and saying, ah. I'm really jonesing for wanting to play and then kind of contacts. Like I, uh, there's a, one of my favorite DMs is a guy named Theo Thorson's from the gallant goblin. So he runs a blog and then he has uh, players that uh, we, we go online. And so he put it together, but advertising from fans from his website and just a great group. And ironically, one of the other guys is an army sergeant. Oh, wow. And Yeah, and then when he moved, as you do in the military, from Fort Bragg to Fort Benning, 
there was no disruption. You know, in the old days, it would be, I'll see you. hope I run into you down the road. But now with this online stuff, people can be all over the place and you still maintain that contact and can still yeah. play. Right. Yeah. It's definitely a good escape, especially during the pandemic. We needed to be doing something, something other than like those Zoom happy hours, which were like fu- <laughs> really fun at first. And then I'm like, I, I don't want to do this. My liver was like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a very different from, from playing in the military, right? Because, uh, you know, decades ago before the online communication, you know, you did have to be face to face in order to do that and have the physical books and open them up and, 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 and bring them from place to place. Yeah, it was, I mean, you had to bring a footlocker full of books because you needed all your different references around. So that made it hard. And so my, my D&D career was kind of episodic. It depended where I went. And if I found that right group of people that were interested in the game. But as, as I'm sure you're aware, back in the 80s, it was kind of this whispered thing. Hey, you, you play D&D <laughs> or do you like this? And it, you, you weren't very open about that. So it was, uh, it was a, a lot more difficult to find those groups. I mean, and, and usually where I went, it would depend. If there was a hobby shop nearby, it was great because they would have it. But like in my first tour of duty in Korea, you're not going to find that, you know, no. in those days. So it, it came and went over the years and just depend upon where you get assigned. But again, you know, being in the military, you, you do change where you're assigned, say every one to three years, you're going to move to something new. Yeah. Yeah. So what were some of the ways that you uh, got to meet people? Like, how did, you know, you were, you were just saying, though, like, oh, do you play? But like, did you, did someone make a reference <laughs> to something? Like, you know, and you'd be like, huh, I wonder if they play D&D. Like, was it that type of thing? Or, you know, like I'd see, and I brought another relic to show you. Nice. There's a game called Star Frontiers. Oh. Yes. And this was, and I saw one of my privates carrying this around when, when I was in Korea. And I said, Oh, hey, that's cool, you know. But it was kind of something that we too shared. It wasn't like they were we were going to create a group, but it was fun just to talk about the the game. Maybe you don't play it all the time, but we could share. Hey, what'd you think of this? What'd you think of that? And still, in those days, you know, you could order everything. So that's why I have so much stuff. Is that I still get it, read it, kind of still be into the game, even though you're not interactive personally by playing. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what sustained me for those periods where I didn't have a player base. That's interesting. I think I was similar in my fandom back then was because I I wasn't able to play because of uh, uh, religious reasons for my family. But I still had the books and I would still go to the libraries and check them out and be like, "Ah." and so that was my fandom was just reading uh, about it and staying, you know, current with what's with what's going on. and that can be just as fun for, especially when you you didn't have yeah. that connectivity that we have now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. kept up with the news. Um, so yeah, you you so you started as a private. I, I want to go back to your military yeah. career because I think it's really okay. kind of fascinating a little bit. So you started as a private, and you moved all the way up to uh, uh, general, right? Correct. Yeah. And did you? Are you? Did you make this claim? Uh, I don't want. I don't want to make it for you, but that you're the the one of the highest ranking members of D and D fans ever. I have yet to run into another general or flag officer that plays D and D. So, I, wow. I, 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 it's the challenge is out there. If you know somebody else listens to, to Dragon Talk and wants to say, "No, I, I play too," love to hear from. 
Yeah. Would love, and, would love to see that that group perform as well. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could actually play with each other. Right? Yes. Uh, I love that. I love that there is because it's a, that's a little bit surprising though because D and D has such war gaming roots and uh, in, in where it grew up from. And so I know I I, I have a, a brother who lives in Newport, and he talks about sometimes mm-hmm. there are uh, strategic think tanks and things like that who run war games, and the way right. they talk about them sound very similar to Dungeons and Dragons and or LARPs. Uh, that are out there. And so you'd think there would be more crossover between those fandoms, especially at the high-ranking levels. Well, and and if I said, you know, war games, yeah, there's a lot, because as you said, that's integral to everything in the military. We actually do big war games. And that's kind of a, you, you can be very open about, hey, I play war games and all that kind of stuff. The I think the thing about Dungeons and Dragons, again, back to those early days when it was kind of, this weird game and what kind of person are you that plays this that you might not have got that cultivated. Now, if you looked at like a younger group of military personnel, I think, ah, sure, of course you play. Why wouldn't you? It's a great game. But, you know, if you, you to, to be a general now, you know, you would have had to have started back in the 80s mm. and maybe not so much. But uh, there's probably a pretty good cohort of let's say mid-grade officers and enlisted that are out there that play quite a bit, I would imagine. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, we've always heard that it's, uh, that D&D is very you know, popular on bases and Wizards as a company has always tried to support uh, our military troops and you know, sending product and games like Hasbro too. So, I mean, oh, yeah, I, 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 know, I, I know you got a lot to do when you're, you know, deployed, but there's also, from what we've heard, there's, some downtime too, and it's just a great way to relax and unwind. And well, I, I sent Greg a photo of uh, in 1997. They had a Magic the Gathering military club. And oh I wow! Still had still had my T-shirt from that, and <laughs> that really is easy for the military because you're just carrying around a few decks of cards. True. Right? So that that was a great idea, and uh, you know, I love that they support the military like that. That was in 1997? Yeah. That was really early on with Magic. Yeah, yeah. it started in 1993, yeah. 92. Yeah, yeah. So they, were, they were doing some good programs there. Nice. I remember hearing, and maybe you can confirm this, because I think you also said you were, you were in Iraq. Uh, was, there a, was there a D&D convention or a gaming convention amongst deployed people in Iraq during, during uh, the, some of the Gulf Wars? There, there wasn't a convention. That would be kind of hard to justify getting around. Uh, you know, hey, why are you, why are you getting on that C-130? Oh, I've got to go to a D&D convention. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we did have an active gaming group there in Baghdad. I, I was part of that in the green zone. And uh, we would meet. Uh, in fact, I started with somebody else's dungeon. And then uh, they were the DM. And then it became so popular, I became the DM. So we had two campaigns going on at the same time there. That's awesome. So that was that was great, especially you know you work ninety to one hundred hours a week over there, but having that time to take that mental break and dive into a fantasy world and enjoy yourself, I mean, a few hours of doing that really was very refreshing for the, the hard pace of life uh, being in an active war zone. Yeah, I'd imagine, and it also seems like a kind of similar mindset. 
when you're playing D&D because of the different roles in the party and everybody supporting each other and working towards that common goal and then, you know, having the dungeon master who's kind of laying things out for you. But did I mean, it feels like that's sort of potentially what draws people in the military into D&D. It's oh, you're a exactly natural right. Fit. Yeah, exactly right, Shelley. Because in the military, everybody's got a role to play. There isn't one... You know, despite what you might see in the movies, there's there's not a Superman that we send in and he just, you know, kills all the bad guys and, and goes home. Uh, each of us specializes in some certain role, and that's exactly what you do in D&D, right? And you're looking like, hey, I need, who's who's going to be the, the rogue and have these kind of skill sets? Who's going to be the, the fighter? Who's going to be the mage? And uh, in the military, you put together teams all the time to sort out, okay, here's what we need for this, but there's not one person. It's a team sport. And I think D&D is a team sport because you really have to have all the various talents and then figure out how they're going to fit together to accomplish whatever mission you're trying to achieve. Yeah. I mean, ex- go on, Greg. I was just going to say, do you think your experience playing D&D allowed you to uh, excel in the military, like and kind of move up and become more of a, you know, uh, a higher ranking officer? I really think it does because the what you do, for example, in you have a group and everybody's got their own character, but you got the okay, oh, you're the bard. Okay, wait, now how am I gonna use a bard in this uh adventure that we're gonna do? And you you it allows you what it what a big thing for me was trying to look at how every person on the team can contribute and they might have a certain skill. And frankly, it goes not just, of course, what's written on paper, but the person, right? Mm. Hey, this guy is the face of the group. He likes to do the talking and he's good at it. This guy, this person over here, she's the puzzle solver, right? Mm. And so being able to do that human interaction and take a look at who's contributing, who's got the right talent for a given situation, it applies in D&D and applies in the military. I, I, I really think it helps with that. I think a lot of the organization that you have to put into creating a dungeon and an adventure, right? You've got a plot line. You've got to say, okay, here's the main one. We're going to have some side things that go along and all of that. Again, that gets into military planning where, okay, here's the direction we're going to go. And we've got this factor and that factor, and this might happen. So if it does, then we go left, not right. And again, very similar. Yeah. It's almost like um, uh, training. For, I was going to say, it sounds right. like training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to remember when World of Warcraft was really popular mm-hmm. and people would say like, oh, yeah, if you can run a guild of, you know, hundreds of people who are raiding and scheduling and making all that happen, then you can be successful yeah. in your life. <laughs> and yeah. In some ways, that's, that's true of, of running a good D&D campaign. Yeah, it's kind of universal truth, right? It's out there. And so I, I have to, I like to credit all the various experiences that you go through in life with contributing to whatever your main achievements are. I don't think things are in isolation. Right. It's not just one thing that did it, but it's yeah. it's the whole breadth of human of, of your human experience that allows you to to achieve success. You're totally right there. But D and D was a big part of it. I I think so. I mean, and certainly it was the fun part of it, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, it also, and I will say, some of the, a lot of the experiences that you have in the military, they lend back to 
D&D. So all the foreign countries that I've lived in and the foreign personalities I've dealt with, it allows me to do a lot of various accents and oh, look at it from, from different cultural aspects of why somebody sees something a different way. And that can be incorporated into the gameplay. And frankly, you know, my players have always loved, it's not just read the adventure, okay, now do X, Y, Z, and you've solved it. Try to put some flavor into it to make it interesting, you know, and, and you might have been through Storm King's Thunder five times, but you haven't been through my Storm King's Thunder. Right. Oh, I love that. The, like how it's like, you know, in your real world experiences inform your fantasy world experiences. Yeah. You know, you can meet people and think, wow, that's a really great potential NPC for my next campaign or like actually like building worlds based on some of the worlds that you've actually experienced and traveled to. Oh, exactly. That's so cool. Exactly. Yeah. Plus you get your theater major training in there with the Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Got to keep it sharp. Um, so you, you mentioned, I think before we started uh, recording that you have a, a daughter. Um, and then, so I was just curious because I'm married to uh, an ar army brat. And he said, that, he moved around a lot with, with his dad uh, being stationed in different places. And he said that he always had D&D &D as kind of that common connector when he was, you know, having to go off and meet new friends. Um, when he learned how to play D&D &D really early on, it helped him form those friendships with, um, with other kids on, on the base because they always, it was like a common language. Like you, that, that was your entry point into new friendships. Uh, just curious if you're like, you noticed any of that, like if D&D &D was ever something that like, you know, the families also participated in as a way to, to stay connected to people or to make those new friendships. Well, I, and I think that is the whole basis of moving around a lot. And you're looking for commonality. Yeah. Now, as, as much as I tried, I couldn't get my daughter to be a D&D &D fanatic. Other, otherwise, she's perfect, right? She's, she's <laughs> well, she can't beautiful, be perfect. smart, yeah. but not so much a D&D &D player. But she does, like I said, tell me that, hey, it's the cool thing amongst people her age now to play D&D. Wow. Very, very open. And it's, uh, it's, it's actually a, a little bit admired that you have those skills or you're in that kind of game, which, of course, is totally the opposite than totally. when I was her age. Yeah. Wow, that's funny. Um, but uh, but I, I do think that that portability, it's, it's kind of a common set of rules. It'd be no different than if a kid was into baseball, right? right? Yeah. Hey, I played Little League here, and I'm going to go over here and play Little League. And as much of a good continuity that you can provide for your children as they travel around, the better, right? You don't want them to, I mean, it's always hard. It's always yeah. hard to move your kids. And so if you can get them something that they can feed right into, and of course, nowadays, so many of these schools have a D&D &D club or a games club, and so they can kind of slip right in. And I think that helps them establish new friends right away. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully this fall, there's going to be even more D&D clubs out there. So all you librarians and teachers and educators who are listening, keep waiting. Uh, look for uh, information on how to sign up for a D&D club kit because we're going to make it real easy for people. Who knew Quick. that a fireball would be such a great icebreaker? <laughs> <laughs> Greg, that's a really good tagline. I know, right? It just came to me. Yeah. I'm write it down quick before we forget. 
I really like that. <laughs> but it is true. Like, it is that. You're, I love your comparison there to baseball or some kind of commonality yep. that has a strict uh, structure to it um, that anybody can go into, right? And I'm thinking, like, things like The Sandlot, that movie, and, like, how he fits mm-hmm. in with that group by learning yeah. those new things. And now I want to create, like, a D&D version of that kid's movie where <laughs> a new kid comes to town and it's they... The Goonies. Oh, introduce them uh, to the D&D game, right? I guess that'd be really fun. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what you're seeing with Stranger Things out now. And very, very similar to that movie, it's, okay, the, the, a few little weird kids, and they're really into that game. It's, they, they can't really explain it to other people well, but they're going to grow up. You know that, and we'll, it'll, it'll get better. And uh, I think that nowadays that uh, those hurdles have, are overcome, and if a kid says he plays D&D, they say, cool, hey, Joey and Tom and Jenny, they've all played. Let's get together. Yeah. So here's something I want to ask you. Uh, you you've talked a lot about how D&D has kind of uh, uh, been instrumental in, in, in your military career, but I wonder if you, through uh, all you learned uh, in the decades of, of uh, your time in the U.S. Army, are there things about how D&D models combat or militaries that you have integrated into your games or that you would want to see in a D&D game? Well, uh, especially when you talk about the large-scale conflicts, uh, then, you know, that's where you really can get the sense in the military of, hey, if we had, you know, 5,000 people on the battlefield, here's kind of the ebb and flow, and you don't get a sense of the entirety of the battle because you're one person sitting right here. So your vision is here, but something else could be coming on over here, over there, you could have some surprises. And I try to incorporate that if we get into those big battle scenarios. I think people like those, but they try to have like the 10,000-foot view. And that's unrealistic a lot of the times. You're down on the ground with the troops, and you can't see what's happening far to your left, far to your right. So, And surprises can come in. So just like if we had a big military battle, which I've experienced um, – in, in training, uh, and suddenly, you know, two fighter jets come in and they they pretend to strafe the troops. Well, how is that different than having a dragon suddenly appear and, you know, start attacking the troops? Okay, so now what do you do? And so I think there's a lot of things that I can draw upon from that vast military background in when you talk about large scale conflict like that. And mm. I think people like to be in that, but I just don't think there's a lot of dungeon masters that understand what it's like to truly be in that scenario. Right. Right. It's the difference between the the more like kind of ground level that most D D player characters are in yeah. versus the strategy game, the chess, the the war games, the the more access analysis yeah. type of yeah. large scale simulation uh those are two different parts of my brain, but I love playing both of those types of games. So I always exactly. want them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want them to come together uh, all the time. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then you have to deal with like things that you know, uh, supply lines, and uh, uh, you know, how do you, how do you, and then with fantastical elements on top of that of like, oh, someone cast a wish spell, and they ended up poisoning all everybody's, uh, <laughs> you know, water supply or something like that, right? And it ends up being, I, I love that type of ways to bring fantastical elements to real-world kind of warfare problems. Oh, sure. And, and as much as people, like, 
their eyes tend to glaze over when you talk logistics. But in when if you're planning, okay, I've got this many charges in my wand. When should I use that, right? Or I've got this scroll of X. Hey, is this the time, or is this is this really the big bad evil guy, or should I save this for later? And those are all similar things that you do in the military, right? When mm. when do I fire my big weapon, or do I save it because I don't have a whole bunch of those? Oh, that's such a hard choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can see Craig's really thinking about that. Uh, when do you? <laughs> well, I'm also when I play like RPGs or like, like Baldur's Gate 3, I'm like, oh yeah, well, why do I have 400 scrolls? I should probably use those at some point and stop saving them. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't be scroll order. But I've also had the opposite <laughs> problem. I've had I've had people throwing fireballs at three kobolds just because they could. And then I've had one encounter. Oh, I need to rest now. And oh. I'm like, well, come on. You got to no, get your no, fireballs back. Yeah, I know. Poor Drunky hasn't rested in like uh, no. four months, it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> At least oh. she got her out of the basement. <laughs> she was in that basement for like six months. It was a long time. People kept blocking the stairs. Come on. <laughs> Get out of the way. I think I'm leaving Waterdeep now. That's the dangers of the DM. Right, yeah. So do you have any DMing tips for us? <laughs> <laughs> How do you move people out of the basement? <laughs> well, so... Here's a, uh, a tip I've had through many years is that a lot of people, I think traditionally said, well, the DM is the storyteller. And I, I discount that because that seems to be a one-way exchange. I'm just giving you information and you're not coming back and forth. I've seen other things, but to me, the dungeon master and their role is to be the director, just like of a movie. Now, sometimes you're the writer director. Sometimes you're just the director. And you're taking somebody else's written work and you're modifying it just like real directors do because they think it, they, they're smarter than the writer. But, um, but the key in there is to always keep the right level of tension just like you would in a movie. And I've, had, I've seen some DMs that say, oh, no, no, I'm authentic. I just roll the dice in front of the players and if they die, they die. And I'm going like, yeah, but would you want to see James Bond killed in the first 10 minutes of a movie? <laughs> well, no. I mean, you can't just say, well, one of those bullets is bound to get him. You got to say, now, look, we, we've got to structure this. And there's a reason you have a DM screen. I'm sure that, you know, Greg, if, if you had rolled a critical on Drunky Two-Shoes in the very first fight she was in and did 30 <laughs> points of damage, you wouldn't have said, okay, we're done. Sorry, you die. You want it, You want to try to keep the right level of tension, right? You don't want it too easy because then players don't appreciate it. You don't want it too hard. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a risk of player death, but like I think there should be no excuse for a, a TPK, right? Because who's having fun? It's all about rule number one, which is everyone has fun. And as a DM, that's up to you to structure it however you want to to make sure everybody's having fun. And that might even vary group by group. Right. But sometimes that's on the illusion of what you said the dungeon masters uh, typically say. We're like, oh, it's just how the, the dice fall. That's how it goes. Yeah. You want the players to have that illusion all the time. Oh, sure. And it's not necessarily an illusion, right? It is true to a certain extent. But you don't want to oh, tip your hand too much and say like, oh, I'm pulling this punch right now because I oh, want Oh, never, never, never tell your secrets. I mean, it's yeah. like being a parent. Right? Yes, parent, yes. You never tell your kids, oh, here's what I'm doing for you. It's for you. You're not but, really uh, going to pull the car over if they don't 
stop talking. <laughs> stop screaming. But you got to do other. it once. You got to do that once, and then yes. they'll believe it maybe for a year yes. or two. Look, there's a reason. There's a reason. There's a DM screen, right? Uh-huh. Just yes. like, the, the, like, just like, there's a reason the parents go off in the bedroom and talk about stuff, and, and you know, they set you settle things. But um, I think that that needs to be used probably more often. Is again, just trying to be the director as if you're doing a movie. And how do you keep the right amount of tension? You don't want yeah. anything too easy, but you don't want it too hard. And adjust as you go. I think yeah. that's you know. Sometimes players are having a bad night and they're all rolling ones. Well, okay, just, you know, you can just say, okay, there's three kobolds, not four, or something like that. But, like, you, to your point, it's all behind the DM screen. Yeah. Yeah. Got to keep it close to the chest. Yeah. Uh, and I like your analogy in comparison there to directing. It's one of the, the uh, essays in our uh, Welcome to Dragon Talk book is about mm-hmm. Kaya Balda, who is a director, and how he uses, he like kind of equates it to directing and how he DMs and his DM style. Of course, he's also using a lot of multimedia, uh, you know, lights and fog and effects and everything like that to to really kind of, you know, create that. But it is that same style of like, you're not necessarily, uh, uh, as you said, that one-way street of just, this is the story that, that you're happening. You're just making sure that all of the players including the writing, get to shine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a hard thing sometimes. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes all the roles work out perfectly and it's the most dramatic thing ever. And sometimes you've got to nudge them a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's always the hard part. But I do find that the older I get, the easier it is to DM because I can draw upon more life experiences to push yeah. in there. So when you are when you are DMing, are you doing um, uh, homebrew worlds that you've created, or are you borrowing from from multiple sources? No, I'm I'm that guy who likes to have somebody else do the writing, and I'm the director. And as okay. you know, the director takes something's written. So like, let's say Storm King's Thunder, and you say, yeah, but you know, I tweak it here, it'd be a little bit more interesting. Or this part over here seems extraneous to the story. We're going to cut that out. And that's the great thing about the products from Wizards is just that then somebody's done kind of the hard base work. And all you have to do is do that tinkering to massage it to be the story that you think your players want to tell. And I, and I do emphasize it's your players. I've seen Dungeon Masters try to make it the story they want to tell. Yeah, but you have to judge it upon the people that you're playing with, right? If I'm playing with 12-year-olds, I don't do the same stories if I'm playing with some 40-year-olds. Right. It's a, you know different expectations and again back to the number one rule everyone has fun that's why i like the trend towards now having uh what we're calling session zero right like that Mm -hmm. idea of like everybody let's get all on the same page of the story that we're going to tell and then if that doesn't jive with your expectations as a player or as a dungeon master that's the time where you can opt out and be like okay i'm going to try something different it's just so great that now we actually have the luxury to pick which games that we're playing in where that wasn't the case in, you know, the eighties and nineties. Oh, I know. I know. You just had the dudes you're playing with and that was it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and, and I, what I find it, cause people I've seen, there's a lot of YouTube videos say, well, if you have these, this kind of player or that kind of player. Yeah. But I never have like a group that's all uniform like that. Like you'll have the group, there's that one person that really loves the role play. There's the other person that's like 
doesn't want to do any role play. They just want to do mechanics. And I think it's up to the DM then to figure out, okay, who's got what? Like there's probably one person that really wants to have the main speaking role, be the face of the group. Mm-hmm. There's another person that is all about understanding the intricacies of the rules and how to optimize things. And, you know, you've got these different talents. Okay, let's form you guys together as a group, make you a team, not a bunch of individuals, because then you can do so much more as a team. Again, very similar to the military. Well, and life, right? I mean, I think that's what's great. We've talked a lot about how kids playing this game learn interpersonal skills. They learn that everybody's got different backgrounds and uh, communication styles and how to mesh that around the table. I mean, you mentioned the, the types of different types of players. One that comes to mind is the player that actually just doesn't engage at all, but really wants mm-hmm. to be there. <laughs> answers the questions when they are uh, asked directly, but is almost more of a passive player and just wants to mm-hmm. be social and be in the room, but not necessarily, you know, in either of the role playing or mechanics archetypes, right? And then how do you, how that, do you let them blossom in in the way, right? It's it's hard. No, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, for that particular type of player, what I do is. I'll go around and say, hey, you know, what is what does drunky want to do in this situation? Because they tend to, and especially if you have somebody else who's very overt and you know talkative, they'll tend to dominate. And you want to have everybody play inclusive. And sometimes you'll, you know, if you ask them directly, they'll come up with the best idea in the world. It's just they're a little bit shy about bringing that out. Yeah. And uh, then I think that draws them out and they go, oh, you like you like what my input is. Okay, I'll give you more input. Oh, that works. Yeah. Yeah, because you've probably had a lot of experience teaching people D&D. Yeah. So That's correct, yeah. How do you, like, right, somebody's like, sure, I'll sign me up. I'll play. And they have no experience with it. What, what is your, what's your onboarding process? How do, you, how do you introduce them to it? It's such a unique game. I mean, like, you know, saying... You can't, a lot of times you, it's hard to describe the game. So it makes it kind of hard to teach it when it's like, well, there, no, there's no board. No, you don't really have a meeple. Um, no, it, so it doesn't really end. Like, <laughs> oh, look at this. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> uh, so what are, what are some good steps for, for bringing in those new people? Well, I think you have to keep it simple in the beginning. Like, just come up with your one of the, ba- okay, you're a fighter or you're, you know, the mage or something and give them something that is, they can wrap their heads around. Okay. You're, you're a mage and you have, here's three spells. I wouldn't even give them all the spells you have. Here's the three, you know, cantrip and a couple of first level spells. And you say, okay, this is what you can do. Now, remember you can do the cantrip all the time, but the two first level spells you have to decide and then you're done. Right. And you can, do a little bit like that. Same thing with the fighter. I wouldn't introduce something to them that even if they're interested into it, I wouldn't, if they said, oh, but I really want to be a bard. Let's work our way up to bard, right? Let's let's try to keep you something simple so you just understand the, the basics of the game. And then, so give them this defined set of rules and then let them expand from there. And I wouldn't even bring up some things like in the beginning when they're playing don't worry about saving throws until they have to do a saving throw. Yeah. Then you explain to them, okay, so you're going to roll against your dexterity to try to avoid the fireball. Then they go, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to dodge out of the way. But 
the where you turn people off so is you go, okay, here, uh, let me go through all the rules for the next hour that you have right. that everybody needs <laughs> to know. And it may never exactly. even come up in that session. But. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and of course, that's that's where fifth edition is really shown is is that you don't need that much to understand the basics to play. And then I think that fifth edition has to deserve a lot of the credit towards the popularity they've had since 2014 and coming out with a, a rule set that it doesn't, you know, people say it's simplified. Well, it is, but that allows people to pick it up and then they can get into the more complicated rules down the line. Yeah. But you don't want to intimidate people like some of the past editions did where, mm. again, you have 47 rules you have to know from day one. Let's, let's, uh, let's take it in steps. Work, their, work your way up. Yeah, one thing I, re- I noticed recently about how the fifth edition books were laid out, it was so smart, was that they use uh, almost like hyperlinks in a, in a non-web text where it's like, you cast this spell. I mean, I guess older D&D did this too, where they were like, oh, then you had to look up the rule for that spell. But they did it for conditions. They did it for monsters, the bolded yeah. text, right? And so it's a little bit like here, you know the, you know the basics of the system, but there's, it points you to how you learn more when you need to learn more. But you don't necessarily need to, you know, click here to learn more uh, right away. You can just be like, okay, well, yeah. I'm blinded. All right, I know what blinded is. but then you, And then you have to go and like look at what actually blinded does. But you don't necessarily need to do it because that, that word is so evocative on its own, right? And it's, it's, it's really genius to think about. I mean, I hadn't really kind of put this until, you, until I started forming this thought, but like, I don't think 5th edition, as successful as it is, I don't think it would have been successful if it, it came out in 1982, for example, mm. because it had so much modernity in the way it was put together like a web page like that way that it, yeah. it it clicked with it with the kind of consciousness of of how people consumed information does that does that make sense to you that, that makes a lot of sense you know i never thought of it that way but that makes total sense yeah i i totally agree that they've done it similar to how we learn so many things right if Hey, I, what about this? Well, I'll go on Wikipedia. Oh, look, it has to link to here if I want to know more about that particular term or something like that. Yeah. So I totally agree. You're you're right. That's a good way to uh, term it for fifth edition. Which so I think it it grew upon the experience from the past editions, but they tried to present it in a yeah. more palatable, uh, yeah. easy to learn manner. To but you can dive into it if you want to. Right, you can, yeah. There's you can really drill those down. layers yeah. are there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Layout is definitely better than those white books that you showed. Us. <laughs> <laughs> the art has improved a yeah. little. The art has improved a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that first edition loss. Ugh, so freaky. <laughs> I did not like that very much. Lady Spider. We, we, well, I, I, I love the moon face, and- moon face beholder. Yeah, that, yeah, oh, it's like so funny. <laughs> oh, that's kind of cute. It looks like a like a Death Star with eye stalks going out of it. It's yeah, so good. it's part yeah. of the inspiration. Yeah, Definitely. <laughs> it might have been actually Lucas always stealing from me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as you have risen up the ranks. Um, mm-hmm. In the in the army, did you find like like did your DM style change along with like these like did you I don't know your take on more responsibility or have like a higher rank? Did you like did any of your new roles inform how you acted as a DM? 
Well, they did, but probably not in the manner you think. So I think when you're younger, you're more dictatorial as a DM. Look, that's the rule. You got to follow that. And as I got more mature in my, you know, rising up through the ranks, I learned that, you know, it's more, you don't, you don't really need to have that dictatorial style. You, despite what most people may think about the army, you're much better served if the people beneath you are smarter than you. You just have to be wiser than them. So let them come up with the smart ideas. And if they said, oh, I want to jump over this. And, and I said, well, then you have to roll a 12. And they go like, okay, uh, I'm going to take off all my armor. And how about that? Oh, well, okay, fine. Then you need to roll an eight. I mean, I'll let, I'll let them come up and not be so uh, rules heavy on it if it's making them feel like their ideas are incorporated as part of the gameplay. That makes sense? Yes, that does. Yeah, because yeah. then it becomes a true collaboration. You have more confidence that you don't need. I think as an inexperienced DM myself, I feel like the rules are kind of my crutch. And that like, if we're just going to throw away those rules, then I'm not going to know anything. Like, I feel like I need to like grasp something. But as you get more confident in that role, then you, yeah. You're weak. Take off that armor. Who cares? Sure. Well, well, there's, there's consequences to that. If you, now you jump across because it's easier, but now you have to fight something. Well, hey, you don't have your armor. So, true, true. But I think that, um, I, again, I, you become less dictatorial and more uh, interactive, I think, as you get higher because you do want to solicit those good opinions and good ideas that are out there. And they make life and the game more fun when you're, you're more interactive like that. It's, it's more an iterative cycle yeah. going back and forth through things. Yeah. So the big bad of every D and D game is scheduling. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Trying to get people to have a window of time, even in the digital realm, right? Like it's always hard to be like, oh, I got something on Tuesday. Oh, I got something on on Friday night. I can't do that. Um, but there's a way to get around that when you're in the army. <laughs> I love this story of 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 a uh, army commander. Uh, Ordering the yes. D&D party to be at a certain time and a certain date <laughs> to play D&D. Yeah, that, I mean, I love that when it popped up on Reddit a year or two ago and it was like, okay, you know, there you go. And, you know, there's, there, there's punishment if you're, not, if you're late. Yeah. So I, I thought that was uh, hilarious. And I think that's why people posted it because usually you don't get that official stuff. But I, I will say that I was telling you earlier about that, that game that I'm in. It has a army sergeant and for one session we had scheduled on a Sunday and he didn't show and we're waiting and waiting and waiting and fight, you know, he's a pretty reliable guy. But then we found out, Oh, they had a, a surprise barracks inspection and he had to go in for that. Okay. Oh. Hey, we get it. But I did offer to write him a letter from a general officer, excusing him from the inspection. And he, I was kind of surprised. He actually took that forward to his like senior sergeant and says, Hey, if I got a letter from a general, can I get out of this? Oh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, where are you? Wow. How do you know a how do you know a general? You're just a sergeant, you know. <laughs> well, oh, I played D and D. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> with some pretty yeah. high ranking people. There you go. Can you write us letters? Get yes. us out of things too. <laughs> Greg, you have all next week off. That's it. 
Done and done. Done. I love it. <laughs> uh, I love that there's some weird, uh, you know, uh, it's just it's such a fun idea of like using the uh, quote unquote power that high ranking officers have, but it's just to play Dungeons and Dragons because it's so hard to cut through all of that scheduling yes. BS, right? And it's good for you. Um, yes, that letter for the Kraken campaign, and it's campaign with a K, which I appreciate <laughs> as well. That's who it is. Yes, that is uh, number five. Excuses are no longer valid, except for emer- <laughs> except for emergencies. <laughs> it's just it's amazing. Uh, well, we could all we all need that for our D and D games. They do tend to get overscheduled, um, even ours um, at work. So, especially at work. At so. work all the time, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's especially been a problem with all these international players because, you know, it's like, well, I had a session, stales for Monday, and the, the DM overslept. And I was like, we're all waiting. We're here. But I get it that it's, you know, 6.30 in the morning. So Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, anyway, but Shelly, feel free to take that order format. And then you can you can use that for Quinn to tell him clean up your room and do it. You know you you've got it now. Yes, I will. Yeah. I it would probably work on Bart too because just with his you know dad being in the army, he has great respect <laughs> for for orders. There you go. <laughs> just tell him Sergeant Slaughter told him he had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> From all of his GI Joes downstairs. Oh, he would love it. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's awesome. I love hearing uh, stories. So any any kind of final anecdotes or something about playing when you are uh, over, you know, over your career or now or anything that like you feel has cemented your, you know, fandom for this game and, and, and uh, hopefully can be, you know, a, a siren's call for more people to, to kind of jump in and start playing. Because that's the real thing is like, I feel like the world would be a better place in the military, in the private sector, everywhere if more people played this game. Well, you know, we always talk about when you become overstressed and everybody becomes overstressed, right? Civilian, military, wherever you are, you're just dealing with, you know, all your kids or whatever. To me, D&D is your happy place. And even if it's back to those days when, hey, I can't get a bunch of players, you know what? I'm going to order this book and I'm just going to read through the Radiant Citadel or whatever. Oh, that's really cool. And to me, that makes me happy. It's just trying to delve into that. Even if I'm not playing, um, I'm in that world, so to speak. And it really helps get away and alleviate some of that stress that you feel. And then you've had your time away from reality and then you'll go back and try to settle what you need to settle in your real world. Hmm. Well said. And that can, yeah. and people bring that solace from different places, but certainly more people should get it from, from D and D. Uh, it was it was for me growing up, that's for sure. It should have been for me, but whatever. It was Sweet Valley High, so we all have <laughs> also our <time>. valid. <laughs> they were all team players in Sweet Valley High. They all wanted to know. Definitely a lot of archetypes, but not, <laughs> yeah, not the good kind. Awesome. Well, thanks so much uh, uh, for coming on. This was uh, amazing. Uh, if people want to find out about uh, anything you're doing, uh, what are you? Are you online? Are you? Are, are you open for games? Are you? You know? Are you on Discord or something like that where people can? I I am on Discord. I'm on Discord uh, quite a bit nowadays. Uh, another kind of pandemic thing I discovered. 
Yeah. And uh, so you can find me. Uh, my name on Discord is Glenn the Pirate. And so you can find me there or on Twitter, although I don't use it that much. Uh, Glenn Goddard on, on Twitter. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, more people in the military everywhere uh, jump into playing more D&D. Okay. And Shelly, I'm, I'm I'm there for you when Quinn's ready to go to the recruiting office. So you just, you know, make sure he cleans up his room. All right. I'll let him know. <laughs> <laughs> I will let him know. Thank I love you. It. It's like a tough love, scared straight situation here. <laughs> <laughs> what? What happened? <laughs> yes. Oh, awesome. This was great. You have great advice. We really appreciate it. It was great talking with you guys uh, after hearing you for years just to, to actually have a, a discussion. It's just awesome. What a wonderful interview. I love yes. talking to Glenn. He's got so much insights into totally. uh, why people play this game and why it's popular now. I love it. And I also do think that my dad will be impressed that we talk to a Brigadier General right? about D&D. He's going to be like, all right, this is unbelievable. I don't believe this. I can't. We got we got football players. We've got politicians. Now we've got brigadier generals. The I mean, who's not playing D and D? The vision of a modern major major general plays D and D. Right. It's in the musical itself. So cool. Awesome. Well. We have had a great time talking with you, and we would love for you, if you're interested in finding out about anything that's going on in the Dungeons & Dragons world, including the impending release of Journeys Through the Radiant Citadel. Yes. Coming on July 19th, head to our social media, wizards underscore D&D on Twitter, like the Facebook, check it out on the Discords. There's an official server there where you could play, potentially, with a Brigadier General Glenn Goddard, go look him up and see if he's available to play online. And of course, if you want to follow us personally, I am at Greg Tito on Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Looking for more people to potentially help make a short film uh, that I'm shooting this summer. So uh, go to my uh, Twitter account there and see uh, if you potentially want to... uh, donate to make that happen that is awesome and uh yeah what about you shelly moo i am at shelly moo on twitter and instagram excellent and of course now we must turn to the drunky two shoes who is no longer in the basement in fact is fighting doppelgangers and all the above finally able to complete the task set before uh, her by Laryl Silverhand to uh, rid Waterdeep of the threat of doppelgangers. But unfortunately, Daryl Two Shoes uh, was going to be potentially destroyed by the falling giant and large doppelganger. But Laryl Silverhand herself was able to cast a spell uh, that transported him somewhere to the ethereal plane, perhaps, she said. Uh, so she teleported you back to the sitting room in Castle Waterdeep where you had scarfed down some delicious hors yeah. d'oeuvres uh, as well as some wine. Um, and you are back there now. Uh, and so, yeah, your face is full yes. of delectableness and you're yum, yum, feeling yum. very tired. Oh, I, uh, I, I, I'm 
I'm tired. I must have eaten more than I thought of this fancy feast. Uh, get it? Get little kitty food humor. Cat, right? Yeah. Fancy. Yep. Yeah. I it said that fancy to her. Fancy feast. Uh, and there also says, laugh? I don't understand the reference, no, but no. Uh, I'm okay. sure. It's like a human thing. Um. Of anyway, course. I'm really tired. Um, did you drug me? I'm sorry. No, it must just be the exertions of your adventuring. Mm, perhaps. I did okay. note, uh, I heard a report from the lawful order of magists and protectors that you were only able to cast very minor spells uh, in, in the fracas uh, unless you had a wand. So yeah, I deduced from my high intelligence that you must uh, need a long rest in order to rememorize your spells. Uh, yeah, I would love that. Of course. And then we're going to go see Daryl. You're gonna, I'm doing... You're working on your spell. Research now as to where he may have ended up. Okay. Um, but uh, I do know through my divination that he is safe. Oh, He's alive, but he is not on the material plane. Is there any way to get a message to him? Not currently. He must be so scared. Perhaps. The ethereal plane is very uh, strange. He may be in a place of solace. He may be unconscious. He may be uh, having a very pleasant experience uh, or the worst nightmare that he's ever had. Okay, that really it's doesn't a, make me feel better. It's a very large spectrum of his experiences. Okay, but you know he's alive and he's safe and that's all you can tell me. That is all that my divination is able to determine at this time. And we don't know where Samson is. I have received reports that Samson was injured in the uh, fight um, and he is being convalesced now. Oh. Okay. Well, I'd like to see him after my long rest. Of course. Yes, I will uh, reconvene with you in the morning. I think you're going to need quite a cat nap. Good one. <laughs> uh, can you? And all, an, an, all of the like attendants around there like titter uh, along uh, with her. That's, yeah, that's real good. Can I do an insight check on her? Of course. I was wondering, you're usually so untrusting of any authority figure. I'm very tired, but I rolled a 19. A 19 total? Yeah. Um, yeah, you think she is uh, being upfront with you. Uh, she believes everything that she said about uh, um, where Daryl is, but you don't detect any deceitfulness. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I'll take you up on that catnap, right? Meow. Excellent. Uh, my assistant, Esmeralda, will see to you. And he, she kind of just gestures to one of uh, her attendants who are like and also in like blue and white robes, uh, similar to hers, uh, less ornamentation uh, and uh, she, very kind of um, obsequious, you know, about five, five and a half foot uh, woman just kind of comes up to you and says, yes, come, if you'll follow me. We have an apartment prepared for you. Nice. Uh, I'm just going to take a few more of these. For the road. <laughs> Drunky fills her pockets. Oh, yes. We can send some to your rooms if you'd That'd like. That'd be great, too. Would love that. Excellent. Well, follow me. And, uh, you know, she kind of quickly takes you. Uh, Laryl goes a different direction. She's like, I have much to see, too. I will speak to you in the morning. Thank you, Ms. Silverhands. 
Esmeralda says, no one ever calls her that. What is? What do you call her? Uh, uh, the open lady. Uh, open Madame. lady? That doesn't seem very flattering. <laughs> She's the open lady of, of Waterdeep. That is her role. Hmm. Interesting. She does not like to be referred to as Miss Silverhands. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, Have you ever checked to see if her hands were really silver? <laughs> she does wear gloves quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like very nervous in talking to you and whispering. Uh, she doesn't normally discuss her boss in this way. Got it. Do you, do you like working for her, Esmeralda? I do. I do indeed. She's a wonderful, uh, very intelligent woman. Nice. Good. I'm glad she treats you well. She does. When she <laughs> deigns to speak to me, which is not very often. Uh, here we are at your apartment. Oh, that's so sad. Well, I'm just a lowly attendant here. You're not lowly. Your work here is important. Perhaps you'd like to go to the ethereal plane with me. What would I do there? What does anyone do there? I don't know much about the ethereal plane. It sounds scary. No, don't worry about the living longest nightmares of your lives. I'm sure it's not like that. I've never been either. I'm sure your brother is, is doing well. The more the merrier, though. Um, and think she, about it. Uh, she says, I, I appreciate it. Um, but in the meantime, I think some rest is in order. Uh, you've had a hard day. and Maybe you might want to clean up some of your oh. fur. Um, there's oh, lots I've... of doppelganger goo all over you. Oh, yeah. I haven't even really looked in a mirror yet. Um, uh, and she puts out uh, some fresh water and things for you to wash up. And she says, I'll leave you now. Uh, oh. And the apartments are very beautiful, very pristine. Uh, Four-poster bed with a roof, and I uh, uh, will stay. Extreme fanciness happening here. Nice. Oh, and you—you'll bring me some more of that wine and delicious food. Of course, of course. I'll see right to it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, lady drunky. Wow, so fancy. All right, and then you're in this amazing apartment. What do you do? What's what's the first thing you do when you come to a new uh, fancy room? Um, uh, I'm gonna walk around and look for mimics. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll do all those investigation checks next time. All right. <laughs> it's such a beautiful bed. Fool, <laughs> fool me once. <laughs> <laughs>